0: Peace Party people, my name is Christopher Johnson. I'm a reporter at WNYC, and I'm the co-host of the podcast, The Realness, and you are listening to the podcast, OPP.
1: Pod blessing, welcome to another episode of Other People's Podcast. OPP is America's number one podcast discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Today's special guest is WNYC's audio reporter, Christopher Johnson, co-host of The Realness. Alongside co-host Mary Harris, Christopher created a six-part health podcast about rap superstar Prodigy, his music, and his battle with the rare blood disorder, sickle cell anemia. Using never-before-heard audio tape of Prodigy discussing life with sickle cell and exclusively obtained medical records, the realness reveals how the disease touched almost every aspect of his life, from the sound of his rhymes to the circumstances of his death in 2017. The series goes beyond Prodigy's story to explore the broader issues surrounding sickle cell anemia, a condition that overwhelmingly affects Black Americans and is chronically underfunded. In this interview, we learn more about Christopher his career as a reporter and of course we get into his dope show the realness so on to my conversation with wnyc's christopher johnson what's up christopher how you doing man
0: what's happening man i'm glad i finally made it dude what Sorry. an honor to have you here i am mainly here to watch you drink that gallon of dunkin dough <laughs>
1: Uh, Look, this is a medium, by the way. This isn't even a large. (laughs) Some days I get the big boy.
0: I'm not. We don't even. I don't even want to talk. I just want to sit here and watch you drink that whole thing.
1: Uh, Oh, dude, this is like a like commercial. Yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly. Look, well, look, Duncan. I think they have a very unique brand. Like I like Starbucks, Uh and I like Duncan. But Starbucks is for like the 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 Lululemon girls. Uh You know what I mean? Like I do yoga. Uh I like to like wear my reader glasses. This is for like yo. I'm a hustler. For the rugged
0: the rugged, The rugged man. I got my flannel on today. Yeah, you're taking it back to like the Nirvana Soundgarden. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Well, I call it my lumber black look. Okay, lumber black. You know what I'm saying? Urban lumber black. I like that. How did you first get into podcasting and into the media world?
0: So I've been doing radio reporting, radio journalism now for 15, 16 years. Okay. I started with National Public Radio in D.C. as a producer on Morning Edition. Um, and I want to give a shout out to my former boss, now godmother, Audrey Wynn, who took a chance on me. Um, I came in, I was a PhD dropout, didn't know anything about...
1: A PhD dropout? Yeah,
0: yeah. I was in a PhD program um, doing history at George Washington in okay. D.C. I just kind of had had enough of school. One day I woke up and was like, yo, I've been in school since I was five years old. I can't. I just have had enough of all of it. So... I took some odd jobs and was listening to the local NPR station and they were doing um, like a job fair. So I went there, met some good folks. One thing led to another. And I show up for the production test. And this was back when NPR was just switching to um, digital, analog to digital. So I had a choice to take a production test, either in analog, reel-to-reel tape, right? Like old cassette tape. Or on the new, at the time, digital software called Dalit. And so I figured, you know, as a kid, growing up around cassettes, I'd fucked with a lot of, like, mixtapes that I used to make, splicing with razor blades, cutting stuff together. So I'm like, I will cast my fate in the direction of analog tape. Okay. So I go into the production booth. It's for people who even kind of know what they're doing. It's supposed to take you an hour. I was there most of the day. I like go out, get lunch, catch my breath. It was harrowing. It was a mess in this production booth. I um, I finish up and I got these big ass like old film canister size reels of tape. You had to like mix different stories together, and they give you a bunch of assignments you're supposed to do. Okay. So I do this horribly and take it into Audrey, who I didn't know at the time, and said, you know, I tried it. I thank you for the opportunity for giving me a chance to prove how much I need to go back to the PhD program. And so I handed it to her. I got like leader tape sticking to me and shit. <laughs> I was all sweaty and nervous and I handed it to her and I was just like, thank you. It was nice to meet you. I'll see you, you know, another time, another lifetime. But I just happened to ask her, so what's next? You know, you call me and tell me what I already know. And she said, no one told you. And I said, what, what She said, you start next week? So I just backed away slowly like, thank you very much. I will see you next week. I didn't ask wow. any more questions. So basically what she was saying to me was stop talking, come back next week, and we're going to work this out. Just a black woman from Jamaica who saw something in me and saw that if she just invested a little bit, this is for all the people out there who run newsrooms and podcasts and whatnot, who are like, I don't understand why my podcast is so white. I don't understand why my staff is so white. I don't understand you know, why this, this is so white, why we don't have people of color. They feel like, well, I put the shout out. This is how it's done. You know, you nurture people and you you try to see in people what may not be glaringly obvious to you. Mm. you know, it's how you, you see potential in folks. And so all that to say, I have to give her a shout out in Mad Love because she was the one who really took the chance on me Gave me the training that I needed and then threw me in the fire. Audrey was no joke. She was like, all right, now you got the skills. Now you're working the overnight shift, motherfucker. Mm. Right? Like you're now coming in at 10 p.m. and working till 4 a.m. Yeah. But I did it. And so fast forward, I worked there and then I moved to L.A. to help start a new NPR show out there and then jumped over to another show and helped start that show. This was from day to day, the show called Day to Day. And then it helped start the that what was the latest iteration of NPR's first black show, which was the Tavis Smiley show. Then they were reinventing it. And I came on when they were doing Ed Gordon, Ed Gordon show. So I helped do that, produced on that for a while. And then was like, I just, I want to go freelance.
1: I want to go back to the, yeah. the Audrey Wynn, yes. uh, the importance of mentorship, you know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend about either the concept of being a self-made man uh-huh. and how none of us are, or, or self-made, you know, women Yeah, um, that, we are none of us are self-made. Right, that like, we all have to have someone right. to help us and right. to believe in us, mm-hmm. and the the aspect of mentorship is so important. For sure. Um, what did you learn from her as a her for her being a mentor, giving you that opportunity?
0: Let me back up and say that I've been blessed to have a lot of mentors throughout my life, from when I was a child, just neighborhood mentors, to people in school through like high school, but even into college mentors who took me in and saw something in me or just like, like me, right. Wanted to spend time with me and be a part of my future and a part of my life. These were often black men. I'm a black man, was a black young man at the time. Um, And I think that I know that because I know these guys, they saw that I was a black man who could really use some mentorship specifically from black men. They wanted to support me black man to black man. Right. And um, they aren't the only ones I've had white women, white men, all the rainbow of colors of people who have supported me for sure. But speaking specifically about kind of the role that Audrey played as a black woman who stepped in and said, again, I, as a black woman, am going to support your future in this if you want this. And so part of what I learned from her to answer your question was, like I was saying before, to try to see potential in people what often happens i find in newsrooms is that and not just in newsrooms but that's what i know best in production houses we have a role let's say for someone to be um, a reporter on the city hall beat hypothetically Mm -hmm. i'm looking for a city hall reporter and that person has to have these 10 skill sets And if you speak Spanish or Arabic or whatever, those are bonuses, right? Those are great things. Mike Washington comes in or Michelle Washington comes in and they don't necessarily have those 10 skills. So I have to be able to be discerning in a way, or I want to be able to be discerning in a way. I think that often white people do this without really thinking about it. I think that they see things that in other young white folks, that it's a seamless kind of calculation and a seamless consideration. There are cues that they look at. It's not by accident that so many people at WNYC have Ivy League degrees. I'm not talking about management. I'm talking about my peers on my level. Right. There are things that they're used to looking at on paper that say, oh, you went to Cornell. I have a sense in my head of what that means. So sitting across from Michelle Washington and saying, oh, I've heard your story. I know a little bit about where you come from. And so you may not have these, kind of, these specific skill sets, but I see something in you. So anyway, what I'm trying to say about um, learn, what I learned from Audrey was, and not that she taught me this directly, but from that experience, part of what I learned was the value of taking the time to try to see in people their potential to, um, to shine even if it's not the most obvious glaring thing, and even if it's not specifically what I'm looking for. So to kind of zoom out and expand my vision. Not that I am have often been in a position to hire people, but I have a couple times had a yeah. chance to at least make recommendations or reach out to folks, even with the realness. We had a young woman who worked with us on our project. We were looking around, casting around for people. And I knew I specifically wanted on that show to help us as like a, a wrangler and a kind of a kind of production assistant who would do all the other things so that Mary and I really could focus specifically on what we needed to do. And we were casting around looking for someone and I knew what I wanted. If I could get it, I wanted a black woman, right? I definitely wanted someone black and I was pretty sure I wanted a woman in that role. Um, Partly as a different kind of voice and perspective, but also to have a more diverse crew, you know, it was me Mary is white, our editor is white, our producer is white, everyone else is white. And um, there's nothing on them. You know, they also recognize the need for diversity. And so I'm just grateful all along the way that folks like Audrey have kind of um, shown me what it means to take a second to take that chance and take that shot.
1: Well, I was talking to a friend the other day, uh, going back to the issue of, of diversity. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm from Virginia, I'm from Richmond. Yeah. South Side all day. Okay. And we were talking about perspective uh-huh. and the perspective that no one's perspective is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just your perspective. And so wh- one of my best friends, we moved here together to New York City. Mm-hmm. And so now he's dating someone who's, you know, she went to Ivy League mm-hmm. and she's always, she comes from money. She has like, uh, she's a very humble, sweet girl, mm-hmm. but she comes from a very different side of the tracks than where we're from. Okay. And we were like, yo. This is crazy that we're actually, on paper, mm. dating up. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not person to person, heart to heart, human to human. Yeah. But statistically, yeah. like the chances of us being from Southside Richmond yeah. dating a girl who attended Ivy League schools, whose yeah. parents also attended right. Ivy League schools. Right it would just almost never happen. Yeah. I call it the you have to play God in your life. <laughs> and like I thank God every day for the things I can't control. We uh-huh. can't control our race, who our parents are, where yeah. we grew up. Yeah. But I think at a certain point in your life, at 18, you have to play God. Uh-huh. And so it's a it's a game of statistics. Yeah. So you have to move to New York City. Moving to New York City raises the probability yeah. of you being able to fall into a certain industry mm-hmm. versus if you had stayed in Southside, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing. When it gets down to diversity, we have to, to try our best. It's, as black people, it's very difficult to mm-hmm. break through mm-hmm. and we have to raise our statistics mm-hmm. where the average person, white person, mm-hmm. doesn't have to worry about their statistics. They're already mm-hmm. in favor mm-hmm. as is, mm-hmm. you know? But, you know, we're gonna, let's take a quick break. Okay. And we get back, we're gonna get more into the realness.
0: No, let's do it. all right we back my man
1: all right so first of all i gotta say i love 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 the realness like with opb i want to have like podcast awards okay and to me this is like the best and it's a mixture between health yeah and also hip-hop culture yeah it's like a hybrid of the two this would get an award for in my opinion What, what award would it get to me it would get best multi-part docuseries wow all
0: right we'll take that by by far thank Um, you man break out my tuxedo
1: yeah oh do it do it i I think one day i'll 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 run the uh first award show okay we'll see
0: all right (laughs) i will will be there
1: yeah oh you will yeah i'll make sure you get an invite (laughs) for sure (laughs)
0: thank you man i appreciate that
1: you know i'm obviously i'm a big hip-hop fan i'm a rapper Mm -hmm. and you know
0: I heard him spitting earlier, y'all. He's This kid is nice. Man. Yo, man. you know, I yeah. try,
1: man. I try. Virginia, we do it big. <laughs> First, tell, tell us a little bit about The Realness.
0: Okay. So The Realness is a six-part or seven-part podcast produced by WNYC Studios, hosted by myself, Christopher Johnson, and a co-host, Mary Harris. Um, and it is, simply put, it is the story of the r- late rapper Prodigy half of the legendary hip-hop duo Mob Deep and his lifelong struggle with sickle cell anemia and how that struggle, that experience, shaped his life, his relationships, his music and his art, um, and ultimately his fate. I
1: first heard of sickle cell because of TLC, uh, Mm T-Boz, but I didn't really know any of the details uh, around it. Uh, How did you gain research uh, around sickle cell? Because it's also a disease that really targets African-Americans. Right. Uh, specifically how did you gain more research around for this project
0: well um i have to give well i have to give massive shouts out to my co-host mary harris on lots of fronts she's over at slate now she is at slate now doing her thing doing it big speaking of uh, being god in your own life um she is running things and so she is a dyed in the wool health reporter she gave me a master class on how to do health reporting. She's ill. She goes in. Once we got the green light to go ahead and start making this, you know, we just rolled our sleeves up and we started calling, you know, you name it. We started calling sickle cell clinics, physicians, other healthcare providers, and researching online, doing all of the basic stuff that you do with reporting. If you're trying to find out information about something, yes, you can look in books and magazine articles and those kinds of things, but it's also in our job, in our line of work, especially with the audio medium, one of the best things, best things you can do is start to talk to a lot of people. And so we have a recording booth or two recording booths at WNYC and Mary and I were in them all the time calling up doctors and you know researchers and the rest constantly getting both the, um, the kind of a, a few things. Certainly the history of sickle cell, which is easy enough to, to look up and do some research on, but also the hemoglobinopathy, like exactly how sickle cell works in the blood. And the third piece of it, which we look to help to providers to um, help us with, but also with sickle cell patients, is a sense of what it's like to experience sickle cell. It's one thing to kind of talk in a very kind of cold clinical way about... Here's how, sickle, how your blood sickles based on a genetic change in your blood that's different than typical blood. You know, that's the sort of hemoglobinopathy of, of sickle cell. It's a whole other thing to experience sickle cell anemia. And you can't kind of have one story without the other. You know, it's like talking about you have, this is a very, very reductive example, but here's what causes a stomach ache versus here's what my stomach ache feels like. Right. Right. Here's what, it is, what the flu is. Here's what it feels like. Because that constant, the presence of, the, of pain, sort of chronic pain, especially for someone like Prodigy who is in pain from the moment he was born to the day that he died, just constant pain or the threat of pain based on certain triggers for your entire life, all the time, in and out of hospitals, dozens of times a year, especially when he was younger and learning how to manage it, that you can't help but have that shape your life and who you are as a human being and how you see the world. This is more than just a little thing that happens to you. This is a fundamental part of who you are. Didn't define him by any stretch, but it is a piece of who he was, I I dare say.
1: What was the, the inspiration behind or the original conception idea of doing this project? Mm-hmm. I mean, how did that even come about?
0: Right, so... Um, I was a part of the health unit at WNYC, which was a small team of folks. And our editor at the time gave us a new mandate. She said, we're going to switch things up. Rather than telling one-off stories, we want to do some in-depth reporting, even create some series, like multiple series. And my colleague, Audrey Quinn, with the Q, um, made a fantastic series about autism. And so Mary and I, she gave us all, our editor at the time, gave Mary and myself and the rest of us on the team the same assignment, which was to go forth and turn over every stone to find something, call everyone that you know. So I was calling, Mary was calling, same thing, all kinds of doctors, researchers, patients that we knew going to bookstores trawling articles everything we could find looking for something that we could sink our teeth into and really go in depth on and again not just tell a one-off story one and done but to really dive into a deep dive mary was on the phone with one of these folks that she'd found and they were talking about sickle cell anemia and in the course of the conversation he'd mentioned to her how as rare genetic diseases go, which is what sickle cell is, it is a rare genetic disease. It is like grossly underfunded, especially compared to other rare genetic diseases in this country, like cystic fibrosis. The difference between the two diseases, um, well, there's many differences, but one of them is that it affects mostly white folks. It works not unlike sickle cell, but it affects mostly white folks. It gets a shit ton of research, even though sickle cell is the most common rare disease. Point being, they were talking about how underfunded it is. And so he was saying there might be something there in the funding issue. And he mentioned that, oh, you know, also someone famous just died from sickle cell. I think his name was um, Prodigy. And Mary was like, oh, I kind of heard something about it. So she turns to me. I sat to her left says, do you know about this guy? Mary knew a little bit about him. But well, come on,
1: man. I mean, prodigies, I knew he's our guy.
0: <laughs> I knew my deep. You feel me? So she said, "Do you know you know you know about him and everything?" And I said, "Yeah, of course." And you know, so we were kind of off to the races from there. It still didn't mean that we had a story, but we had a nibble. And so from there, we kind of we got his autobiography, My Infamous Life, mm-hmm. and we started reading through it. And that's also where you every name, every story, every song is a potential kind of hook to hang your story on. So every time you see a name or a story or a place, you start making calls or you start Googling. And you search and you see if there's actually anything there. Eight times out of ten, it goes nowhere. But when you get those little things that actually do kind of bud then you can start building your story.
1: I obviously like yourself am a huge Mob D fan. I had the pleasure of meeting Prodigy. Oh, uh, wow on 42nd Street. Uh, wow. at Port Authority. Huh. He's just walking was and I was catching the bus. He was catching, I guess he was catching a train or a bus or something. Okay. And I caught him I was like Prodigy. And I have like a picture with him that I'll cherish forever. Wow.
0: I want to see that.
1: Yeah it's like literally it's just yeah. us like dapping each other up on the street. He's like, yo, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> um, but he seemed like a good dude man. It, Very humble. Yeah. Um, That was the best way I can describe my brief interaction with him. He's walking towards me and I just say, I I see another at the corner of my eye. Yeah. I'm thinking, this is no way. This is Prodigy. Right. Like by himself, no team, no squad, nothing walking through Port Authority. Mm. And he just stops and is like, yo, what's up? Like, can I get a picture? He's like, come on. Yeah. Um, But super, super polite and super Mm. nice. Yeah. But I want to know, what did you learn about Sickle Cell and about Prodigy that you didn't know Mm beforehand that you learned through doing the series
0: um about sickle cell i have to say i didn't know a whole lot about sickle cell um i knew like a lot of black folks do i knew that it was a disease that affects a lot of black folks but i don't know anybody in my family who has it which doesn't mean they don't i might have the trait who knows i haven't been tested um but i just didn't realize how common it was among black folks I learned, I mean, I learned a ton, both about how sickle cell works in the body. So that was a whole kind of massive learning experience for me and a super interesting one. And I also, I knew a little bit about the history. So in episode two, part of what we do is dive into the history of the effort to bring sickle cell from this like obscure, basically black disease into, and so both misunderstood and mistreated and misdiagnosed and all the rest. The effort primarily by a handful of black physicians and black activists, including the Black Panther Party, who actually sort of led this effort to bring it into the kind of public, to bring it to public attention and get federal funding to treat it and to talk about it. So I knew a little bit about that history, but I didn't know a lot. And so I got to learn... Both about how sickle cell works, but also about how Black folks, like as folks, decided around the '60s and '70s, we are going to make this our disease. We're going to claim this disease. We're going to claim the young people who are suffering from this because at the time, sickle cell was a, was considered a childhood disease because it killed kids. Right? Like, if you had sickle cell, it wasn't uncommon for you to die at a young age. The mortality was about 10 years old. So, I, I learned about like how the Panthers and other organizations helped turn that corner by saying we're going to ki- both. We're going to do a couple things. One thing we're going to do is make sure that the folks who need this care get it, but also the folks who have this are not ashamed or afraid to talk about having it and to kind of own it as a black disease and recognize it as something that they. It's a trait that came from Africa. It's an African. It's a connection to the motherland. So, so this idea of as one researcher calls it, consanguinity, that we share this bloodline and this blood experience that is obviously a metaphor for the transatlantic slave trade mm. and a kind of blood connection between black people as well. So that's what I learned about sickle cell. One of the things I learned about Prodigy, many, many things about Pete, because I didn't know a lot about his life. I knew him as half of Mob Deep, and I knew Mob Deep's story, but I didn't know P's story that much. I, I didn't know Prodigy's story that much. But one of the things that really stuck with me was that There's this moment in the podcast, I think it's in the first episode, I'm talking to Scott Jacobs, who was part of the team that really helped basically launch Mobb Deep's career as Mobb Deep. And so I got him on the phone, he lives in LA, and we were talking. And one of the things he said to me, I asked him, was there a moment when you saw or could point to Prodigy Sickle Cell shaping the music? And he says, yes, he asked, he noticed, Scott noticed that from Mob Deep's first album, Juvenile Hell, to the second album, which is what far more people Mm -hmm. know about, The Infamous, their whole style changed. And it changed for lots of reasons. But Scott noticed that Prodigy has switched up his flow. In the first album, he's rhyming a lot more like Havoc. It's a lot more energetic and kind of that bouncy, almost crisscrossy sound to it. Um, But you know, we know how P sounds on The Infamous, right? It's more laid back in the cut. Scott says he asked Prodigy, what made you change up your style? And he said it came from being in the hospital because of sickle cell, laid up, doped up, because one of the only ways that you can treat sickle cell, quote-unquote, treat it, morphine, right? is with pain medication, yeah. mostly opioids, mostly morphine, correct? So he's like, I'm laying up in the hospital, doped up. He's like 16 years old, something like that, 17, 18, doped up, and he's just like, yo, I'm just going to talk to these niggas right? Like I'm not going to try to do all it because that's not me. The way I feel right now is what we ultimately end up hearing in Prodigy's voice. Mm. And a lot of it had to do with his experience with sickle cell anemia. So it's that crossroads, right? That switchover where he says, as an artist, I'm going to change up my style. Let me tell you something, bro. One of the things that touched me about that as another creator, I'm not, say I'm on the level of prodigy, but I'm saying as someone else who also creates things and makes things. That faith in going the way that in some ways seems the most obvious way and the most like visceral way and the way that's closest to your heart, sometimes I push against that being me. but prodigy basically said, I'm going to just be myself. Laid up in a hospital, he basically made or helped make the music that would define him by just saying, I'm just gonna be me mm-hmm. that really has touched me
1: another thing about this project too that I think is extremely important for our culture mm-hmm. to tune into this and I think that when I was speaking about giving it an award, yeah, this is the number one like b e t like <laughs> essence podcast of the year like I think that one thing you've done an amazing job. You and Mary both, and the entire team at WNYC did a great job of delivering a health podcast in a way. It's almost like giving you vegetables, mm. like underneath like some Skittles. Uh huh. Right. You know what I mean. So if, if you are a hip hop fan, you can resonate with the story, obviously, and the narrative of Prodigy's life. Right. right. But it's also intertwined where you're learning something about your own culture, your right. own people, right? Um, in a way, it's easily digestible and right. entertaining as well. It's what's it's what Jerry Seinfeld
0: calls. Um, broccoli deep fried and chocolate sauce
1: there we go that's that's exactly what this is <laughs> you did an amazing job uh so yeah so we are come to the point of the show called our podcasters picks where I ask our top podcasters their top three favorite podcasts that we should be listening to and describe them to the audience okay
0: one of the ones I can I would pick is uh you know this podcast heavyweight
1: no it's a tell get me about podcast it. okay
0: um it's by it's a Gimlet podcast. It's been around for a minute. It's hosted by, John, I think his name is Jonathan Goldstein. Okay. He used to work on This American Life, and he's close with those dudes who created This American Life and went on to found Gimlet. And it's just, so basically, I don't know how Jonathan would describe the show, what the conceit of the show is, but basically what he does is he finds people who have unresolved, who have these sort of unresolved parts of their past. And he helps them move towards getting some kind of resolution and confronting whatever this unresolved issue is from their past. It often involves whoever he gets confronting some person from the past. So he'll find someone who there's one story, one of my favorites is this guy who just moved to Los Angeles and he moves in with these roommates and there's a pizza place nearby that he frequents. And what had happened to this guy is that he'd both gotten kicked out of the pizza place for stealing slices, which he says he never did, and he got kicked out of the the group house for not really participating in the group house culture. This had happened years earlier. So then he finds his way to Jonathan, and Jonathan's goal is to help him make both of those uh, broken Relationships whole again. And it, it sounds super like therapeutic and touchy-feely. This show is off the chain. It's so okay. fucking funny. And Jonathan is ridiculous. And I have to say that one of the reasons I love it is actually it's rarely the stories themselves. The stories are dope. But the thing I love about it is the tangents. Mm. He goes on these tangents just like I do during podcast interviews. <laughs> he no, goes no, no, no. on these He goes on these tangents, and the thing I love about it is that he indulges them. He goes on it, oh, this is a tangent. I'm just going to lean into it. He has these crazy-ass tangents, and I love the courage in it. So that's one thing. Okay, Listen to Heavyweight, y'all. It's been around for two seasons now. Okay. On the broccoli side of the deep-fried and chocolate sauce um, side of things, The Daily I really do like the Daily. Oh,
1: Michael Barbaro is the man. I really do. Let's give let's lick some shots for Michael Barbaro. Yo, every day I tune yeah. into him. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, so I love The Daily. He, he has become an amazing staple. Yeah. And when we look back, I think podcasting is very much when it's hip hop stage of infancy. Yeah. Right? Like it's almost like when hip hop before it really blew up. Right. Um, but you just know that people like it. Yeah. I think we're going to look back. At the work he's doing, and he's almost like the uh, Johnny Carson, you know what <laughs> it's I mean? True, he's it's like, a good point. We, we don't see it in the moment now.
0: It's true. But he would
1: define an era, yeah. where everyone was tuning in, yeah, to what he was doing.
0: There's so many more that I really, really love, but I'm going to go with Uncivil. This is another gimlet show. OK. And this, the concept is simple. They, it's about the Civil War, and they find all these civil war stories to tell, and none of them are about war. Which is pretty great, I mean that's sort of there's their conceit from the beginning, one of their conceits was that we're not gonna we're gonna tell the story of the Civil War telling no war stories. Mm. so I mean that may change in the future, but all their stories are about all the sort of politics and players and human beings. It's very, very hard to do a history podcast as you might imagine, right like none of the people are alive. there's no tape from something that's that old, and so it's just ill, like the way that they're able to they're, they're, they're kind of handicapping themselves from the beginning, telling a very old story. An old story that has been raked over many, 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 many times, which is the story of the Civil War. With no tape, right? And not about war. And yet, it, they come off. It really comes off. So
1: is so it, that the human story
0: of the Civil yeah, War? Yeah, it's not human stories. Yeah, it's all that it is. So,
1: so it's yeah. kind of like Jack and Rose in the Titanic without giving any, like... You're getting this, it's a love story, not about like the technical aspect of how the ship fell.
0: Some, it of, some of it, some of it, but what they don't do is, um, there's not, none of it is about being on a boat. Okay. The most obvious thing to talk about when it comes to the civil war is war. The most obvious thing to talk about in the Titanic, I think is that you're on a boat. So, but there's so many other stories that could exist in lots of other contexts, Okay. As well. Okay. They're human stories, which is what the film The Titanic is, I guess, gets so much love for is that they're huge, even if you, you know, obviously you've never been on the Titanic, but they're stories you can relate to.
1: Christopher Lastly,
0: why do you podcast? Stories, bro. I I'm doing a story right now about Queensbridge. Speaking of Mob Deep, I'm doing a story about Queensbridge, kind of revisiting Queensbridge houses, and I'm working on a story about Queensbridge. And so I went to Queensbridge for the first time ever, actually, um, earlier this week. And I went to meet the um, president of the Queensbridge Tenants Association, Miss April Simpson. And everyone calls her Miss April. As soon as I met her, she shakes my hand. It's super friendly. I, and as I was leaving, we talked for a couple of hours. She walked me, her and her colleague, Miss Ch- Stephanie, they walked me over to the senior center. She bought my lunch, which was like scoop of tuna fish, crackers, green salad, whatever, whatever. Miss April bought it, paid for it without me knowing it. Gave me a hug when she left and said, you are now our nephew. Mm. Just met you today. You are now our nephew, right? So you call me auntie. You're our nephew. What I love about podcasting, it's bigger than podcasting. It's telling stories, whatever I end up doing from here, podcasting, making films, writing, whatever it is, it's folks. Bro, it's meeting folks. It's meeting people. It's getting that quality time and that personal time and that kind of connection with people. I love it. Now, maybe I should have some grander vision. Like, I want to free the people and let folks know about malfeasance and get Trump impeached and like this sort of mission-driven work, which all shouts and respect due to that. My stuff is just not as lofty. If my work goes in that direction and really has that kind of consequence, then that's dope. But for me, it's telling the stories that I really enjoy and making the connections with people that I really enjoy, and especially, I'll just be real, telling stories about our folks, about my folks, about black folks in this country and around the world. I will die many times over before I'm ever able to, like, run out of those stories and i love it
1: christopher johnson man you are a real inspiration (laughs) like i'm so glad that we met likewise now i know that we're neighbors we'll be hanging out a whole lot more (laughs) yes (laughs) you're the man thank you so much you're a real inspiration in the space man and i just really admire what you do
0: thank you man i want to give you a shout for easing into this or for moving into this world of podcasting you're independent right yeah that's not easy to do. So I want to give you a shout and not just more than a shout, a blessing. Oh, thank to you really brother. offer you a blessing and that the, like, the road for you is clear and that the runway is clear for you to make the kind of art and the kind of work that you want to make. Um, because there's a lot of competition out there and I'm not even talking about other podcasts. I'm just talking about folks who just might not really understand who you are what you're trying to do you feel me and so I'm it makes it like warms the cockles of my heart to see you here in this little room inside of a a co-working space that's genuine passion and love and so I have to bless that and have to give that you know my support
1: thank you brother you know the new phrase is called pod bless Pod
0: bless. Pod bless, man. See, that's why I got to hang out with you
1: young folks, man. Keep
0: me up. Ain't that young no more. But
1: Chris, you're the man. But thank you so much, Christopher. I appreciate you. My guy. We out. Thank you all so much again for tuning in to another episode of OPP and to our special guest, Christopher Johnson. You can find the links to his show, The Realness, in the description of this episode. This episode was co-produced by Daniel Hogarty, mixed by Mark Byrd, Music for this podcast was produced by Richie Quake. And before we get out of here, be sure to check out our other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'll provide the link to that in the description of this episode as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless. Till next time.